Okay, in chapter 20, Zophar pretty much backed up what Bildad had said before about um, perfect justice, about what God's judgment looks like. Uh, We know it as the perfect uh, state where God's wrath is completely and fully poured out on uh, sinful mankind. That's hell. And and he gives us a picture of what that looks like. That was in chapter 20. Uh, We could say that Zophar, like Bildad, is describing exactly uh, what the New Testament idea Idea and the Old Testament idea, I guess uh, I wouldn't separate the two, of hell would be like. But uh, once again, I think Zophar is trying to uh, describe the suffering that Job is going through right now as he looks upon Job. And he's trying to make sure that Job understands that God's wrath is poured out on those who suffer, and Job surely fits the bill as one who is suffering. So this must mean, you know, ergo, that Job is one of those wicked wicked men who is experiencing the wrath of God. And by now, I don't think I, I have to tell you, you know, how wrong he is. We've, we've seen it over and over again. Uh, the underlying premise here is that if a person is suffering like Job is suffering, then God must be pouring out his wrath on him. And, and God doesn't allow wicked people to prosper in this life. This is what Zophar has said. And, and God doesn't allow righteous people to suffer like Job is suffering. So what we're going to see here in chapter 21 is that Job is going to thoroughly refute uh, the arguments of both Zophar and Bildad. He's going to he's going to show them that, in fact, the wicked do suffer, prosper in this life. And therefore, the friends, their whole argument is false. Uh, and so they shouldn't be trying to counsel and comfort Job with these words that are untrue. So that's, that's going to be the premise of chapter 21. Job is going to refute them by showing them the reality uh, is different from what they're describing. In in this world, uh, sometimes wicked people do prosper, and sometimes righteous people do suffer. Uh, Of course, we know the quintessential example of that is the Lord Jesus Christ, the only innocent man that ever lived who who suffered greatly. Uh, But first, Job is going to try to reason with his friends. They've wronged him by everything they've said and done, and uh, now Job wants to take just a minute and think about, he wants them to think about what they are saying. Verses 1 through 3 in, in chapter 21 says, Then Job answered and said, Keep listening to my words and let this be your comfort. Bear with me and I will speak. And after I have spoken, mock on. Uh, Job just wishes they would listen and take comfort uh, from his words. Why can't you guys just listen to what I'm saying and just think about it? Job just wants his friends to bear with him for a few minutes. He just wants them to be quiet and let let him speak. Uh, But don't just sit by waiting for him to finish so they can speak again. He wants them to really pay attention to what he's saying. Then he says, you know, after I've spoken, you can go on and mock me all you want to if you want. Uh, just listen for a moment before you continue making a mockery of my suffering. Uh, it seems that Job is, you know, he's about had enough of all this mockery. And I can imagine he's getting frustrated uh, beyond belief. He's he, he can only, you know, tell them over and over again that he has done nothing deserving of all this suffering. But the more he denies it, the more they continue to shame him. I mean, there's just no way out of the predicament that he's in. It's like, 
when someone calls you an alcoholic and you say no i'm not they immediately say well well denial is the first stage of you know there there's no way to uh to argue your way out of it because they've already made up their mind verse four says as for me is my complaint against man why should i not be impatient this is job speaking he wants to make sure that they know that his complaint that uh, it's not with men it is with god to be honest he really doesn't care what his friends think by this point i'm sure he's heard all he can stand he knows they're wrong and nothing they they can say is going to persuade him otherwise Job's thinking, you guys can mock me all you want. You can insult me with your ridiculous advice. Uh, But my case is not for you to decide. It's not up to you to tell me what's going on. My case is for God to hear and to decide. He's appealing to the higher authority. Job seeks an audience with God, and he's, uh, he's really getting tired of this audience that, you know, he's having to deal with as these friends continue just to uh, to uh, give him this this flawed advice about both he and God's nature. And since his complaint is with God, it's really none of their business. Uh, he believes, you know, he has the right to be impatient. God is, God is not like his friends. God is all knowing and all powerful. So of course, he knows what's going on. God has heard Job's complaint and seen Job's suffering. Job has repeatedly called out to God for help and to to hear his case and explain to him why this is happening. Maybe you felt like this before as you go through suffering. Job is he's impatient because he knows that God hears him. But it seems that God just won't answer. Uh, According to Job, God should be able and willing to answer his cry. Job doesn't understand the reason God would just will not answer him. And this, more than any other thing, is making Job really impatient. And in in his mind, he believes he has a right to be impatient. And so in verse 5, he says, Look at me and be appalled and lay your hand over your mouth. When I remember, I am dismayed and shuddering seizes my flesh. So, before Job starts refuting the friends' arguments, he gives them his own piece of advice. He tells them that they should be shocked and appalled at what Job is going through. Instead of standing there accusing him and telling him unhelpful ways to fix uh, his situation, they should come alongside him and suffer with him. They should cover their mouths in shock because of the suffering of this innocent man. Job is dismayed and, and he's shuddering in fear of what is happening. If his friends were any friends at all, if there were any comforters at all, if they were any counselors at all, they would be trying to comfort him rather than adding to his suffering by telling him all the things that he's done wrong and giving him fallacious ways to fix all the problem. Uh, So next, Job is going to show them exactly where they're wrong and he's going to provide them with proof that the, the wicked do prosper in this life and there can be no doubt of it. Uh, it's a big section, verses 7 through 13. It says, Why do the wicked live, reach old age, and grow mighty in power? Their offspring are established in their presence, and their descendants before their eyes. Their houses are safe from fear, and no rod of God is upon them. Their bull breeds without fail. Their cow calves and does not miscarry. They send out their little boys like a flock, and their children dance 
lights. They sing to the tambourine and the lyre and rejoice to the sound of the pipe. They spend their days in prosperity and in peace they go down to Sheol. That's how Job describes the wicked man in this world. Job is he's making a, a very long and detailed argument here, but the whole thing in a nutshell is that everywhere you turn, it looks like there is no justice at all in the world. God seems to be letting the wicked man get away with everything, while Job himself, who is as righteous a man as anyone alive, is going through the most intense suffering imaginable. He starts off by by saying that the wicked live and they reach old age. They grow mighty in power. It seems like the men with the most power and wealth are those who trust in God the least, according to Job's worldview. They, the, the wicked, they get to see their descendants prosper. They live long enough not only to prosper themselves, but to see their children prosper as well. And, and here is Job who's lost his children. They were all killed at one time by acts of God. God. Uh, he, he won't get to see them live or prosper. He looks around and sees that wicked people all around him are safe from God's justice. They aren't punished or, or, or so it seems to him uh, for the things that they do. And, and so why, why has Job encouraged such a wrath, wrathful response from God? Job even says that you know the, the wicked's cattle even prosper. Even, even their cows breed and don't miscarry. Not only do they prosper physically and their children prosper, but even their livestock and their businesses prosper. In verses 11 and 12, Job uh, shows that uh, the the friends, he shows them that the wicked's children are happy and joyful. Uh, this is not the justice that the friends say is stored up for the wicked. When Job looks around, all he sees is wicked people prospering in ways that surpass even his life. Uh, up until God struck him with suffering. Uh, Up until then, he was prosperous. And he looks around, he sees wicked people that are prospering even more than he did. Uh, Finally, in verse 13, Job says that all the days uh, the wicked live are filled with peace and prosperity. How in the world could Job's friends claim that God only allows suffering for the wicked and always prospers the righteous when the reality of the world seems to indicate the exact opposite? The wicked don't suffer in this life at all. Uh, When Job looks around, he sees it. Now, uh, we can't make these general statements, but it seems like the friends and Job are throwing these generalities back and forth at each other. They're saying the wicked always prosper, and Job now is saying the wicked never prosper. Look look around. Um, If you think about it, the Bible says that... um, that God chastises those who are His children. Therefore, I mean, you wouldn't really expect uh, the desperately wicked who hate God and are enemies of God to suffer in this life. They're they're afforded every luxury and comfort in this life because of their master, Satan. You know, he's sure to give them what they think their heart desires just to keep them from God. God has postponed His perfect justice until the end of history when all is fulfilled. But this doesn't mean that there's no justice in this life at all. You know, of course there is. But God's perfect punishment for sin is not happening right now to those who defy Him. 
but it's it's definitely coming. So you can see Job's point. Uh, the perfect justice that the friends has described, Job looks around and he sees it nowhere. I mean, there may be bouts of suffering here. There may be some things going on in a wicked person's life there, but not like what the friends have described. They have described a life um, of complete and total torment and anguish where all goodness is gone. And Job looks around and he says, I, I just don't see it. Give me an example. Next, in, in verses 14 through 16, Job is uh, he's going to instruct his friends by showing them that, that these people who are enjoying the comfort of their businesses and families and the blessings of long life, they're the same ones who are continually defying God in the way that the friends have claimed Job has defied God. Verse 14, he's describing the wicked. He says, They say to God, Depart from us. We do not desire the knowledge of your ways. What is the Almighty that we should serve Him? And what profit do we get if we pray to Him? Behold, is not their prosperity in their hand? The counsel of the wicked is far from me. These guys... Uh, who are enjoying life to the fullest are the very ones who tell God, just leave me alone. They are the ones who don't want to know God's ways and, and much less keep them. These are the kinds of men who the friends say cannot be happy in this life. They say that God won't allow them any blessing whatsoever because of their sin. Yet Job looks around and he sees these men prospering all over the world. They mock God by saying, who is this almighty that we're supposed to be serving him? They call God a liar by saying there's no profit in praying to this God. Uh, for them, their prosperity is in their own hands. According to their thinking, they've earned all they have by their own works and the sweat of their brow. Uh, is there any possible way to offend God more than this? But here they are prospering. Uh, Job shows us that these are the exact people who are enjoying their lives, while Job, who is doing none of those things, is suffering more than any other. Job ends this section by asking uh, a rhetorical question of his friends. He asks uh, this question, but he's expecting the negative answer. He says, his verse 17 says, How often is it that the lamp of the wicked is put out? The, the, the question expects the answer not very often. How often that their calamity comes upon them, that God distributes pains in his anger, that they are like straw before the wind and like chaff that the storm carries away. Here he's, he's implying that the lamp of the wicked is not put out, and they rarely experience the calamity in the way that his friends have described. Job looks around and he sees that God... It doesn't distribute pain in his anger to these people who are mocking him. He, he looks around and sees that these wicked men who curse and mock God are not like straw before the wind or chaff that is carried away. Uh, everything the friends have been saying just doesn't hold up to reality of what Job sees around him every day. The, the wicked don't seem to be punished for their wickedness. But in fact, it's just the opposite. In this world, they seem to be standing strong rather than being blown away. How could these friends be counseling Job about his suffering when the very fundamental assertion they're making doesn't line up with reality? And of course, by now, Job's getting upset. 
they're accusing him of, of something he hasn't done. They're telling him that God has gone back on his word by suddenly rejecting the faith and the sacrifices that once appeased him and covered Job's sins. Uh, how can Job accept this counsel when everything around Job points to the fact that they're just flat out wrong? Uh, the world doesn't operate the way they're saying. Just, I mean, even a cursory look around will prove them wrong. Verse 19 says, You say God stores up their iniquity for their children. Let him pay it out to them that they may know it. Let their own eyes see their destruction and let them drink of the wrath of the Almighty. For what do they care for their houses after them when the number of their mouths months is cut off? Will any teach God knowledge seeing that he judges those who are on high? Job understands that his friend's worldview is, is patently unfair. He says that if they're correct, the wicked should be punished before they die. But when you observe the world and the people in it, it it just doesn't look like it works that way. Many wicked people are simply not punished in this life. Job is basically questioning Zophar's assertion of God's justice in this life. He says that if you think God is storing up punishment for the wicked's children, he should go ahead and send it now instead of waiting. If you're right, he will send it now. That would be the justice thing to do. Job also thinks that the the wicked man's own eyes should see God's wrath come upon his children if Zophar's counsel is correct. And what good is it if their houses are judged after they're long gone? Uh, Job isn't that lucky. He has experienced firsthand the judgment of God, or, or so he thinks. Uh, so if Zophar is right, and all these other wicked people, they, they should see God's justice in their lifetime as well. But they're not seeing it. So why is this so? Job is attacking the fundamental premise of Zophar's argument and showing that he's just wrong about what he's saying. Finally, Job shows Zophar that the end of the righteous and the wicked in this life is really exactly the same. They all die. And it looks like you know, it's just the luck of the draw as to whether one dies in the midst of his blessing and another dies in the midst of intense suffering. Verse 23 says, One dies in his full vigor, being wholly at ease and secure, his paths pails full of milk, and the marrow of his bones moist. Another dies in bitterness of soul, never having tasted of prosperity. Both the wicked and the righteous go to the grave, and worms cover them. One goes who is pro- profitable and prosperous, and another dies poor and bitter. For for Job there, it just doesn't seem to be any rhyme or reason. Uh, Zophar is absolutely incorrect about his reason for suffering and pain, so Job is showing them that it just doesn't seem to matter. It seems that God is just not playing a determinative role in who is suffering and who is not. It's like the world is dumped into sin and it's just the luck of the draw who goes through what so far job has put down every argument that the friends have offered he's refuted everything they've said they are completely without support for their claims and they can't prove what they've been saying Uh, and he says in verse 27 he says behold i know your thoughts and your schemes to wrong me for you say where is the house of the prince where is the tent in which the wicked live he he flat 
out tells them your schemes are wrong. They have told Job that the wicked's tents are removed from the earth by God and they cannot be found. That's why he says, where is the house of the prince? Where is the tents of the, of the wicked? Uh, he is anticipating their objection. They're going to ask him to show some proof of a wicked man suffering and his tent being prosperous. So Job tells them, verse 29, Have you not asked those who travel the roads, and do you not accept their testimony that the evil man is spared in the day of calamity, that he is rescued in the day of wrath? All that they have to do is ask. Uh, it's common knowledge. It is like, you know, it's like this everywhere in the world. It, it seems that the, the righteous believers are the ones who are persecuted and maligned, while those that care nothing for the ways and worship of God seem to, you know, be embraced by the world and have everything going, you know, for them in their lives. And not only this, but it seems that the wicked prosper in death too. Verse 31 says, Who declares his way to his face and who repays him for what he has done? He is carried to the grave. Watch is kept over his tomb. The clods of the valley are sweet to him. All mankind follows after him, and those who go before him are innumerable. Just look around, is what he's saying. No one repays the wicked man for what he's done. No one declares his wickedness to his face. Even when he dies, people watch over his tomb and give him a glorious funeral. All men mourn him and speak highly of him. It seems that even when they die, they die on top of the world. Uh, how can you guys possibly say that all the wicked are separated from God and blessing when it's plain to see that it's just not true? Based on everything he has said in this chapter, Job is effectively refuted Zophar's argument. Not only is he wrong, but he's looking pretty stupid right about now. And Job ends his speech by saying in verse 34, he says, How then will you comfort me with empty nothings? There's nothing left of your answers but falsehood. You guys have been doing nothing but spouting nonsense at me. How in the world do you think this can comfort me? Even a child knows that you guys have no idea what you're talking about. Uh, and we can take a great lesson from this. When suffering comes into our lives, the first reaction is always to cry out, Why are you doing this to me, God? Why have you singled me out? Why have I done this? Uh, what have I done that's it's so much worse than all these other people? You know, I see all these other people, they're doing worse things than me, and they're fine. Uh, it's easy for us to look around and all the unbelievers and say, Why aren't they going through all that I'm going through? They're, they're worse than me, and God seems to have singled me out for special punishment. But we know that God is not working this way in Job's life. And he doesn't work that way in believers' lives as well. Suffering comes, of that you can be sure. There's, uh, there's no doubt that there will be a time when suffering will come for you too. Uh, you shouldn't, I mean, you should already expect it. But just because the most tragic things happen in this life, it doesn't necessarily mean that God is pouring out his wrath. Uh, God's perfect wrath is not poured out in this life. And if you're a believer, there is no wrath for you whatsoever. All God's wrath was poured out on Christ, if you're a believer. So, if God allows suffering and trial to come into your life, it's not for punishment. It's always redemptive. It is to bring His 
you know, his children back to the path of righteousness. It's to correct them. We'll see this in, in Job's case, but but it's much easier for us to complain and cry when things happen. We, uh, we have to understand that God's Word says the sacrifice of Christ has covered and washed away all our sin. Just like the sacrifices Job offered uh, pointed toward that sacrifice and covered his sin. So whatever happens to us in this fallen world is not necessarily directly caused by our sin. And we shouldn't expect the same kind of of loving disciple uh, or, or loving discipline, excuse me, to be poured out on a wicked non-believer because they're not God's children. Wrath and punishment is waiting for them. It's not poured out on them in this life in total fashion, but it's waiting for them and it will be poured out. They will be punished. There is no loving discipline for those who do not trust in Christ. So, we shouldn't be surprised that the wicked seem to prosper while God's people are under the chastising hand of God. It's actually a good thing. It's actually a wonderful thing to think about it, that God loves us so much that He won't let us stray off the path of righteousness without discipline.